You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ministry of worship. Thank you so much for the time together where we can call upon our Heavenly Father. Lord, and in this room, there are many men who never heard the words that their father was pleased with them. And Lord, you say in your own loving kindness, you say that you are pleased with them. So God, this morning as we look into your word, God, we look to you as the good, good father to give us guidance and direction in all of life for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, hey guys, it's good to be back with you. Uh, My name is Ryan. I serve as the uh, preaching pastor, lead pastor here at North Valley. And uh, this morning I've got my podium. Anytime I bring out my podium, you know I've got a serious message, okay? Uh, So this morning we are going to be looking at kind of a biblical response to uh, the Orlando Massacre. And uh, this would be about the last chance I feel like I could have to help us uh, understand how to deal with and respond biblically to such tragedy in our culture. Um, So this morning, what I want to do is, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. Last time I was with you, we were in Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at that just for a moment. And uh, I'm going to have a stand for God's, uh, the reading of God's word in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen. And uh, we're going to look at, look at that as a motivation and an inspiration to see our response into a, a tragic situations and challenging times. My hope is, is for you, those of you guys that are fathers and you came here this morning and thought, how can this message apply to me? Here's, here's the deal. You need to be able to give a biblical response as the, what God calls the spiritual leader of your household. And for all of us as Christians, it is not enough to be indifferent or desensitized about such issues. Um, The Bible calls us to respond. And last time I was with you, I talked about the importance of being uh, salt and light in our earth. Um, So let's do this. Let's just go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll get to work. Jesus says this, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer uh, good for anything except to be trampled under people's feet. You are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, I was on the uh, interstate and I turned on the news, uh, the radio. And if you've traveled cross country before with a family, especially a toddler, God be with you. Um, and you know, the kids are, uh, some passed out and some are, uh, we're playing referee 
um, between the arguments and whatnot. And, and yeah, there was some peaceful moments, but man, man I'm traveling 20-something hours across the country uh, with three kids in the car is quite challenging, to say the least. But I, uh, I had just gotten back from New York City with my wife. We had spent some time there because we're going to build a cross here at this church. We're going to build a 9-11 memorial cross, and we're going to set it out on I-17. Um, a gentleman that uh, attends our church on a, a fairly regular basis had this vision that God wanted to, him to build a cross and dedicate it towards a church. And incidentally, we closed on our property in September 9-11. On, on the 11th of September. And uh, so we traveled, long story short, we traveled to New, New York City. And as I'm driving, my soul was already weary of all the images of terror and all the images of the World Trade Center come crumbling down, literally people jumping out of the building to escape the inferno of flames. I'd visited the museum. I had special privileges to go into the museum, and we were able to secure the right dimensions for the cross so that we could do our best to present a replica for our city and our community. And that cross stands as a symbol of hope, a symbol of strength uh, for our country, and nobody built that cross when the World Trade Center fell. Um, A few days later, they found the cross Uh, erected out of the rubble, standing strong, and it served as a place of hope and a place of of, of strength. But as I was traveling through, I turned on the radio and I heard the news that 50 were dead and 53 wounded. And I thought to myself, this has got to be one of America's worst mass shootings ever. Having already been soul fatigued, I I just turned off the radio and I prayed. Um, you know, have no doubt, church, that we live in a violent culture and it seems to be escalating, does it not? You know, mass shootings have become more and more common. And recently I asked some young people about what their, what their thoughts were about this. And the word I received was almost a numbing or desensitizing was their experience. What are we doing back here? Okay, look at this. Here we go. You never know what's going to happen here at North Valley. I think we literally have the movie theater uh, playing some some films. So I'll try my best. You guys try to hang in there with me. Uh, hey, this is why we have. This is why churches ought to buy land, right? This is why churches ought to build buildings as a sacred place of worship. So, hey, while they're doing this, I'm going to tell you about our property, and then we'll get back to the message uh, on this. Or I might just sit down. Somebody go grab me some popcorn and a Coke for a minute. <laughs> Gee whiz. This is great. I think we have somebody working on it. Hey, uh, on the property, I received a phone call uh, last week that uh, we are a few weeks behind on schedule. Um, but in the big picture, you guys need to hear me on this, is we're still two years ahead of schedule from our original plan. So we purchased the property in September uh, 9-11, and um, we're coming up on one year this September. And by God's grace, we still believe that we will be on site in that building, worshiping without the distractions of this kind of stuff. Um, 
starting um, um, in August. So we will be in, in, in our permanent facility then. And so I ask that you pray with me on that. Um, Lord willing, we'll get the city uh, response this coming week about the site plan being approved. And we can start our construction. All our finances are in place. It doesn't mean we don't need you to continue to give uh, generously, sacrificially, and regularly. Um, we do, but we ask that you would join us in prayer for that and that all the permits and everything would be in place and we'd be able to move forward. So, um, Nick, you tell me when we're ready to go. We're good? Okay. Can we get a little, any more lights in here or is this it? We're on it. Okay. Uh, so anyway, guys, can we just take a moment to thank our Heavenly Father for God's grace on this church to get us into a, a, a facility like we are going to have and a property and thank all of those that have sacrificially given uh, for that, and we will be, uh, Lord willing, in our new uh, facility uh, August. Can we celebrate the Lord in that? Okay, so here, here's, here's just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move through this. Since I was, the first time I remember the, a mass shooting was in 1999, Columbine High School. There were 13 killed, 24 wounded. And then in 2007, Virginia Tech, 32 were killed, 17 wounded. 2009, American Civic Center in New York, 13 killed, 4 wounded. 2009, there was Fort Hood, 13 killed, 4 wounded. Sandy Hook Elementary, 2012, 26 were killed. In 2012, in a movie theater in Colorado, a young man walked in when at a midnight showing of The Dark Knight dressed in army fatigues and unloads and kills 12, how many people? He killed 12 people and wounded 70. 2013, Washington Naval Yard, 12 were killed. In 2016, the deadliest shooting ever in American history, uh, 50 were killed and 53 wounded. So I ask myself, what in the world is going on? Um, being the son of a psychiatrist, I've had the privilege to think about matters not simply theologically or biblically, but also psychologically. Mental health is a huge deal in our culture, and as you look through these mass shootings, there's a number of what would be classified as mentally insane or mentally hurt people. They, not, they do, did not know the love of the good, good father and maybe experienced uh, much mental Ill illness and a prison in their own mind. According to the American Academy of Child Adolescence Psychiatry, there's a strong correlation between media violence and aggressive behavior. People that are vulnerable are our youth. And so I think through the reality of my house, when my son and I play Call of Duty, or we play Halo, or we play these other video games, how much does that impact or influence our children? According to research, the typical American child will view more than 200,000 acts of violence, including more than 16,000 murders before they're 18 years old. Children programming today displays 20 violent acts per hour. If research shows that if, if a child views violence before the age of four, which is many of our families here in our church, they are unable to distinguish between fact 
and fantasy. Children who watch TV violence are often desensitized and begin to view acts of terror like we've seen in the Orlando shooting as normal. And over time, they lose their ability to empathize with both the victim and the assailant. So how do we respond to evil? There's a number of different ways that people have responded to evil over time. Specifically, I'll highlight to you just the religious community in Jesus's day. In Jesus's day, there were the Herodians. They were the people that didn't really care about being distinct or different from culture, so they just took it in. The Herodians were a Jewish group that were named after King Herod. And they took part of all the cultural life you couldn't tell they were distinctively different from the rest of culture. That was the Herodians. The Sadducees, their response to evil was, let's be ritualistic, let's create rules, and let's focus on holy places and temples to separate us from the impurities of evil around us. The Pharisees, they thought their response to evil was to fulfill the law, to be really righteous, to be obedient to the law of the holy Torah. And then there were the zealots. The zealots believed that the way to respond to evil is to eradicate it, to take up the sword and kill any who were unholy. And then there were the Essenes. These guys moved into the mountains. They retreated. Their response to evil was isolation. And then we have Jesus, who called for a whole radical turnaround on your response to evil. And his response was, I'm not going to take you out of the world. I'm rather, I'm sending you into the world to show and to share my love to the world around us. And so here we are as a church and we have to ask the question, how do we respond to evil? And I prepared for you 12 different ways to respond. And for time's sake, I'm going to work through seven. Amen. Seven calls to action for those who call North Valley home. This is who we are and who we are not as a church. Number one, we trust in the biblical authority, not in the cultural majority. What I mean by that is that if someone were to cut you, you would bleed bibline. That's a Bible word I invented uh, with the help of Charles Spurgeon. But you would bleed the Bible that the Bible would be so saturated in your life, that's the authority on which you rest upon. The Bible is the authority. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. What do you trust in? If you're afraid of people, you'll be swept into what's called cultural majority. As we approach subjects such as these, and we think through issues with the LGBT movement and community and radical Islam, you think through that you have to have a biblical response. The Bible says that when you trust in the Lord, that's safety. I'm trying to help guide you through a tumultuous time in American history and calling you to look to the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed out, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world. There's 6 billion, 1,500,000 in print today. 26,000 
times the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament testify and say, this is God breathed out. God's breathed this out. This is God's word. So that is the case for us. We've got to trust in God's biblical authority, not in a cultural majority. There's 66 books in our Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. There's 40 different authors, all under the divine inspiration of one author, Christ, God, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Prophecies were given. There's archaeology that supports this scripture. There's no other book like it. This is the holy word of God, which we we rest our authority upon. One theologian says this, no other archaeological evidence has ever been refuted in the Bible. Thousands of archaeological finds support the Bible. When we think about where we're going to find our authority, my encouragement to you is that you look to the scriptures. Secondly, we label murders such as the Orlando massacre as evil. 1 John 3.12 says this, it's referring back to the very first murder account in Genesis. And the author of 1 John says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Evil, I think you could define evil as the disruption of God's perfect plan and purpose for the world and all that's within it. It's the disruption of God's perfect plan. It's the disruption of God's purposes um, and all that's within it. And the Bible always calls evil and murder wrong. The sixth commandment in Exodus 20, 13 says this, you shall not murder. Senseless murder, such as what we've seen in the news and the mass shootings over the last 15 years, are evil. It's a disruption of God's perfect plan and purpose for our world. And we need to be able to label that. When I was in New York City, I was thankful for the privilege to go into the 9-11 Memorial Museum and having spent hours walking through different exhibits and seeing the horrendous uh, acts of terror and all the folks that have died in that incident. There was one section in the museum where I believe what they did was they labeled evil, evil. They had a section for radical Islam, Al-Qaeda, and they called it what it was and said, these are our enemies. I would not have been okay walking through that museum, seeing all the people that have been hurt, their lives disrupted and destroyed all throughout the city without knowing what's the source of this? Who did this? And there was a section, and my encouragement to you is when you see evil, you label it. And you say, that is evil. It's wrong. Number three, we respond to evil in a way that honors God. The Bible's very clear on responding to evil. I'm going to give you a number of different passages that will help you learn how to respond to evil in our time. Avoid evil. Proverbs 4.27 says, do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Anytime there's evil, you avoid it. You run away from it. Get away from it. Disassociate yourself from it. 
Some of you are struggling with all sorts of temptations and there's people that are doing wrong things, evil things, and you know it's wrong. You avoid it at all costs. Your witness is at stake. The Bible says, hate evil. Amos 5.15 says, hate evil and love good. Establish justice. Jesus testifies that he would rebuke evil. In Matthew 16, 23, we get an account where Jesus rebuked Peter. He turns to Peter, the disciple, and he says, when Peter's trying to stop Jesus from accomplishing his perfect plan, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? Because evil is always a disruptance or a disturbance of God's perfect plan and purpose. He says, for you are not... You are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. We need to trust in biblical authority, not in a cultural majority. Resist evil. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.11 that we are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God's equipped you with his word. God's equipped you with his spirit. God's equipped you with the community of believers that is called the church family or the army of God to resist evil. You have that power through Christ and to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Another way to respond to evil is you pay evil back with good. You never pay evil back with evil. Look what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Make sure that no one repays evil for evil. Always pursue what is good for one another and for all people. I want to show you a disturbing video that I saw in the news. And I show you this because I want you to remember who we are as a Christian community and who we are not. This is an example of who we are not. Watch this. Today, you know, people say, like, well, aren't you sad that 50 sodomites died? Here's the problem with that. It's like the equivalent of asking me, you know, what if you asked me, hey, are you sad that 50 pedophiles were killed today? Um, no, I think that's great. I, I, I think that helps society. You know, I think Orlando, Florida is a little safer tonight. Now that 50, you know, the tragedy is that more of them didn't die. I mean, the tragedy is I'm, 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 I, I'm, I'm kind of upset that he didn't finish the job. There's no tragedy. Tragedy. I, I wish the government would round them all up, put, put them up against a firing wall, put a firing squad in front of them, and blow their brains out. You know, at least, at least these dangerous predators, these dangerous, filthy pedophiles at this at this gay bar, at least they're off the streets. Obviously, it's not right for somebody to just you know shoot up the place because that's not going through the proper channels. But these people all should have been killed anyway, but they should have been killed through the proper channels, as in they should have been executed by a righteous government. God, I pray for those men. I pray that you would turn them to repentance. I saw the name of that church, the Faithful Word Baptist Church. That's a shame, Lord. We look to your word, God, for the right way to respond to evil. We pray, God, that we would be people that would be saturated with your word. And we'd give a biblical response and seek plainly and clearly what your word says and then live by that. 
For your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Make sure that no one repays evil for evil. That's what that was. Always pursue what is good for one another and for what? All people. How do you respond to evil? You pray in response to evil. Jesus did this. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, evil is when a man walks into a nightclub and opens fire upon innocent lives and kills 50-something folks. That's an act of evil. It's a disruption. It's a disturbance of God's perfect plan. And the Bible says that we respond, respond in a way that is good, not evil. And what you just saw is, to me, is a sad and poor reflection of what the church is all about. And unfortunately, when uh, folks on the outside of the Christian faith see that, what do they do? They polarize and say, this is all of Christianity. I would propose to you that as we look at the radical Islam, that much of the accusation and the polarization is very similar than what you just saw. In fact, Islam is the second largest uh, religion in the world. 85% of the, Muslim, of the Islamic community, I would say, lives more peaceably. But there's a fraction of folks that live by a radical form in view. It's been perpetuated by a movement called Al-Qaeda, which means the base. And the view is, is to eradicate like the zealots, to kill all folks that are not in view of the, of the true Quran, God's word, Allah, from Allah. I have a friend who is Muslim. A Muslim is a, a person who adheres to the Islamic faith. My I would tell you this gentleman is a kind and courteous person and he does not at all exemplify radical Islam, the terror that we've seen in our media. The man who killed uh, the folks in the Orlando nightclub uh, testified and communicated and self-identified himself as being a part of this radical Islamic movement. And it is no surprise to me uh, that that would happen but I want to caution you to be careful not to lump all of, all of the Muslims into that category because it would be much like what you just saw. If somebody from the outside saw those videos, they would say, they could easily say, well, that's Christianity and that's you. And your response would say, that's a skewed, perverted view of the Christian response, amen? The Bible says that we're to trust, we're to trust it, God in the midst of evil. Psalms 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. The fourth response I think that we need to have is that we need to treat everyone as valuable, not some as invisible. Genesis 1, says this, so God created man in his own image, 
in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That means all people. That means the LGBT community is made in the image of God. That means that the Muslim is made in the image of God. That means that the Christian is made in the image of God. That means that the Hindu, that the Buddhist, it means that every person on the planet is made in the image of God. And the question is, is does he reflect that image very well or not? And I would argue, no, not at all. Anytime we sin, we disrupt God's perfect plan and purpose for our world around us and his kingdom. But all people are created in the image of God. And this is why we need to, this is what's been called theologically is the Imago Dei. It is the meaning that every person on the planet is created in the image of God and therefore deserves dignity, value, and respect regardless of one's belief, their creed, their practice, their lifestyle, whatever. That everybody deserves dignity, value, and respect. I would argue that this biblical concept was even woven into the Declaration of Independence when it says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We as a church, North Valley, I'll speak for us, we will treat everybody as valuable. We won't treat some as invisible, as some in the Christian community would. Number five, we put ourselves on the sin list before we point the finger at others. What I want to do in our time here is I want to walk through a passage, and I want you to do this. I want you to use your intelligent thinking, clear understanding of Scripture, and I want you to be very humble in how you look at this passage, and please understand this. That by God's grace, we've been saved, but we are sinners. We've all struggled and done things that are wrong. Here's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That means God's rule and his reign upon all things. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Everyone in this room, most likely, if you are at a, of a, a, an age where you've had time to act sexually inappropriate, you've done sexually immoral things. If we were to take all the sins of the sexually immoral and cast them upon the screen of your life, you would crawl out of here today. The Bible says there's sexually immoral. There are those that have done things that are Sex outside of marriage, they have fornicated, is what the Bible calls it. They've looked at pornography. They've looked lustfully upon others. And the Bible gives a long list of sins here. Nor idolaters, those that have placed anything in front of Christ. It could be power, it could be success, it could be money, it could be relationships, it could be image. Paul says, nor adulterers. Jesus said, if you look lustfully after another person, you've committed adultery. He says, nor men who practice homosexuality. 
I say this because uh, the LGBT movement is obviously in the homosexual category. I say this also to show you that the Bible lists homosexuality as a sin in the middle of a bunch of other sins. And I say this too because I say this uh, with great clarity and confidence that we need to be able to learn how to extend compassion without compromise. Uh, The gentleman's response to uh, evil earlier, he says, you know, well, you should just take them out and kill them. That's responding evil with evil. There's no good at all. But I want you to know something here. While homosexuality makes it on the sin list, uh, so does sexually immoral and idolatry and adulterers. He says, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards. I mean, how many drunkards do we have here today? You struggle with alcohol. You're born into an alcoholic family. He says, no revilers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look what Paul says in verse 11. And such were some of you. In other words, the church is comprised of these people. He says, but what? But you were washed. You were washed in the forgiveness of Christ. You were washed in the grace of God. Some of you say, well, maybe people are born gay. I'd say I see that there's a propensity for some to act and have inclinations towards same-sex relationships. I agree with that. But I'd say, I don't know if any more than those that are born into families with long histories of alcoholism. But at the end of the day, don't we all have a choice? This morning, I talked to my friend who uh, was abused by his father. He never heard the words of I'm proud of you or I'm pleased with you. He was uh, physically and um, physically abused as a child. Um, This gentleman is in ministry like me. I've worked on staff with him in my former church, Fellowship Bible Church. And uh, as a long result of looking and longing for love and connection, he found that in in the homosexual community. And through a long, dark, winding road, at the end of it, he came to the realization, knowing that Scripture was true, that he needed to rest on God's biblical authority, not on a moral majority or inclinations of desire from the human flesh. Because let me warn you, if you respond to the inclinations that you have in your flesh, you'll easily wind yourself up as sexually immoral. You'll easily wind yourself up as an adulterer. You'll easily wind yourself up as a drunkard. And so... I testify to you today, my friend, uh, he's walked away from that lifestyle. He's been washed by the grace of God. But you know what he'd said to me this morning? He said, I still have temptations. I still have desires that are wrong, but they're in every other category too. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with wanting to get drunk. I still struggle with greed. I still struggle And so I tell you, look what the church is. It's people that are washed by the grace of God. Listen to me. All you who are struggling, you've made this sinless so far. Please put yourself on it. You are washed by the grace of God. God's forgiveness is furiously uh, over your life. God's grace is greater than every sin that you could ever commit. But the clarity of scripture puts it there. 
from the Old Testament to the New Testament, these sins, there's nine of them that are listed out. They're consistent in all of Scripture. Does it mean that God doesn't love these people? No, he does. In fact, that's his church. But they're washed, washed, and they're sanctified. That means that there's this process of becoming holy. And it takes time, amen? It takes time for you to grow in holiness. Look what it says. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Justified means that you're literally declared righteous before God. So you can be a person who has homosexual tendencies and desires. You can be a person who has sexual immoral tendencies and struggles and a a person who's committed adultery and you can come to the church and find the grace of God, the right church. The Bible says, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is evil? Evil is a disruption. It's a distraction of God's perfect plan and purposes for our world. So we have hope. My hope is for you and for me is that we would put on compassion without compromise. Look what it says. In Colossians 3.12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I believe that we can absolutely, as a church rooted in scripture under the biblical authority of God's word, is always demonstrate compassion. In one scene of Jesus' ministry, he looks out upon Jerusalem and knows the sins of people and the hearts that are broken, and he weeps over the city with compassion. Paul calls us in Colossians to do this, to put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So what does it look like to be compassionate? If we were in Orlando, I would say, go donate blood. Go help the wounded. Pray for them. Here in North Phoenix, we pray for those that have been affected by that tragedy. We never repay evil for evil. Rather, we pray for those. We uphold that anybody made in the image of God, which is all people, that we demonstrate value, dignity, and respect, and we show compassion to. Let me tell you something, church. When Jesus gave his greatest sermon and he said, you are the light of the world, where does the light shine the brightest? In the dark. If you do not move forward into darkness, shining the love of Christ, yet preserving as salt of the earth, preserving historical truth, then we've lost our influence. And I, I tell you, as a church, we are that church that we will demonstrate compassion yet without compromise. Amen? I have friends that are still in the LGBT community, and uh, I'm still friends with them. They willfully, habitually practice homosexuality. I disagree with them fundamentally, but I can still be compassionate and caring. I can still show dignity and value and respect. I don't change people's hearts, God does. You don't change people's hearts, God does. But as Christians, what we are called to do is to submit ourselves to a higher authority. His ways are higher than our ways. His laws are better than all of our laws, amen? 
And so we're to demonstrate compassion yet without compromise. Seventh point I want to make here this morning is this, is that we can show the love of Christ to our neighbors this week. You have neighbors, 85% of the valley is without a church home. That means many folks in your community, in your neighborhood, don't know Jesus and would not adhere or follow the teachings of Christ in the Bible like we do. Yet while most Americans own a Bible, they don't live by the Bible. And we as a church need to be people that really genuinely care for our neighbors. Why? Because Christ taught us these are the essential things. Learn to love God and learn to love people. And when I say people and when Jesus said people, he means all people. The people that are not like you. In fact, they need the love of God the most. And you're the chosen instrument to put on compassion and kindness and you can still be compassionate without compromise. Show the love of Christ to your neighbors this week. I want to encourage you. You have a Mormon friend on your street, you show the love of Christ to that Mormon friend. You have a Muslim friend on your street, you show the love of Christ to that Muslim friend. You have, and you say, he's not my friend. I'd tell you, he's your neighbor. And what does Jesus say? The second commandment is this, is that you, and it's equally important, is love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So your greatest responsibility in life, dads, is to love God and to love your neighbor. That's your greatest responsibility. In fact, all of scripture can be summarized in those two statements, loving God and loving neighbor. Our greatest social responsibility in our world today, is to love our neighbors. At least this means the people down the street. For those that are in same-sex relationships, you show the love of Christ and you love your neighbor. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. Because they still deserve dignity, value, and respect. And if you decide to point out their sin, I'd tell you this, please point out yours first. I've been involved in evangelism and being a witness for a long time. I got saved at the age of 18, and I lived a tremendously uh, sinful and rebellious life. And what I've learned over time is that if I can identify myself and find common ground with people, I can communicate the love of Christ. And one of the greatest ways you can do that is please tell your struggle. Please tell your sin. Because guess what? We can all find common ground at the cross. We can all find common ground where we go, you know what? God's created us, mankind in his image. And when we choose to sin, it's less than the best. It disrupts God's perfect plan and purpose in all of life. But thank God for the cross. Who's able to wash away every sin. Who's able to forgive all the past, all the present, and all the future. And so as a church, we have to be the message bearers to correct crazy ideologies, what you just saw, with, even within the Christian circles. To not only correct, but to shine forth the love of Christ and be the hope of the world, the church. Sharing and showing the love of Christ. Galatians says this, So then as you have opportunity, and I'd encourage you, you have an opportunity here today and here this week, 
I've preached the word, and I feel like I've been faithful to it, and I believe I have. I've given you a biblical overview, given you more scriptures than you could possibly digest all in this short time. But it's there on your program, so you have the opportunity. Let us do good to everyone. Let's say that together. Let us do good to everyone. Now, Paul distinguishes everyone. Why? Because he believes in the Imago Dei. He believes that all people are created in the image of God. He believes that every person, homosexuals, drunkards, adulterers, liars, and thieves, all deserve our care, our compassion, our goodness upon everyone. But look what he says, and he specifies, and especially for those who are the household of faith. We do a great deal of work to ensure that you grow in a spiritual community called the household of faith, the church. And we do that through neighborhood groups. But let me remind you of this, that we should never let up to seek to do good for all people. Treat all people with value, no one as invisible. Jesus constantly made a habit of taking the outsider's And through his grace and through his forgiveness, making them insiders. The city of Phoenix is like a people of outsiders. And it's the church's responsibility to declare and shout from the mountaintops to say, you can, through Christ, be an insider. Christ is our grace. Christ is our hope. And through Christ, oh, he comprises a great multitude of sinners to call his church. And it's the cross where we find forgiveness. It's the cross that we find hope. It's the cross that we find our acceptance. And we don't have to figure this thing out called life on our own. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he's given us clear teaching in his word, amen? On how to respond to tumultuous times and culturally challenging days. On how to share and show the love of Christ. May we, North Valley, always be one's who can demonstrate compassion without compromise and love our neighbors, amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word is good. Your word is true. And I pray, God, as we move forward in our day and in our hours, uh, and we see more of these incidents and episodes, I pray that we would always look to your scripture and respond under biblical authority, not a cultural majority. I pray also, God, for those that are struggling with uh, same-sex tendencies. God, I pray that they can find out that, guess what? There's a group of sinners in the church, and they're all struggling. And here, God, in your church, your true church, which is gathered all around the world that centers themselves around your scripture and the love of Christ, would find hope and forgiveness and find a way out, Lord to live more holy and right with you. We pray, God, let your grace abound where sin increases. So in this time of offering, I want to encourage you to think about somebody on your street, somebody in your neighborhood. And man, I'm telling you, you are here today. Two reasons. One, to experience the grace of God and two, to extend the grace of God to that person. I want you to take this time in offering and think about the person that needs the extension of God's grace and you be the person that this week would show the love of Christ to that individual. I pray that we would shine in our days ahead. We're going to enter into a time of offering and in communion. 
take this time of offering to think through and pray as to who God's placed in your life that you need to show the love of Christ to. And then secondly, in our time of communion, I encourage you to remember that the grace of God is powerful. And if you receive that grace today through Christ, you're forgiven of all your sins. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today in this time. We pray that you'd minister now through your spirit in this worship response of offering and communion. To Christ be the glory in the North Valley and beyond. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.